Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz Bruner. Imagine this. I'm sitting in a sun-filled living room, surrounded by beautiful furnishings and perfectly placed accessories and knickknacks. There's a comfy winter white couch with brightly hued throw pillows and shades of warm neutrals. And as I look outside through the large picture glass doors, I see lush greenery and flowers bathing in a beautiful blue cloudless sky. Sounds pretty amazing, doesn't it? It is real and it is the home of my guest today who truly believes that the potential to live your best life begins right in your own home. She's an entrepreneur and interior designer with an international home furnishings company, a media personality, and now a three-time author, and I'm also proud to call her my friend, Jennifer Adams. Welcome to my podcast. Thank you, Liz. It's such an honor to be here with you. I'm so excited, and you make me want to just retake in my entire house again for the first <laughs> time with the way you describe it. It sounds amazing. It is beautiful. It is gorgeous. Thank you. Jennifer is the CEO and Chief Creative Officer of Jennifer Adams Worldwide. You went from picking strawberries in the fields to making beds as a housekeeper to now running a multi-million dollar business. But this is not a story of instant rags to riches. Yours is a story of hard work, dedication, and working your way up to the top and recreating your life along the way. Where did this passion and creativity for designing spaces and interiors even come from? Yeah, that is such a good question. I think about it all the time because I didn't go to a traditional school. I went to a six-week trade school when I first started. And really, the bug got in me when I was young at home, living in my parents' house, because we really didn't have any resources, like no money. And so anything that was brought into our home was made by my mom or my dad. My mom even made our sofa. She put together the two by fours. We got this inexpensive fabric from Goodwill, I believe, or a hand-me-down. And our shelves were cinder blocks and boards. We um, painted the walls. My dad even put a roof on our house. So from an early age, I learned that you can make your space comfortable and beautiful without spending any money. I mean, we made our bedding, we made our draperies, we framed fabric and put it on the walls. So I really have to give the credit to my parents, even though I didn't like it at the time. <laughs> and I thought it was so dumb. And why couldn't we have money and live in the city and buy things? I had no idea that that was really the springboard for my passion as an adult. What I find funny, too, one of the stories you talk about is that you actually dyed your carpet navy blue. I How did, did that happen? Oh, <laughs> with a box of red dye and a steam clean carpet, a steam carpet cleaner from our local grocery store. My mom was really in touch with keeping our home clean. It was small, but she kept it really clean. And every six months, she would go to the grocery store and rent a steam cleaner. And I thought, you know, and I, what if I got a box of dye and dumped it into that water tank and my mom let me, <laughs> so she let you, she let this. me. Yes. So <laughs> imagine going to the grocery store, shopping for your carpet color on the, on the shelves of the dye at the grocery store. So I came home and it was yellow and green shag carpet. It was so ugly and it didn't evoke my personal sense of style at that point. <laughs> and so I just, you would think that with one pass when it looked bad, I would to stop, but I kept on going till it turned almost black. 
gosh. And your mother allowed you to do this. She did. She was pretty adventurous with our home as well. I don't know that my dad loved that, but it was fun. <laughs> you talked about having really simple early life, very humble in many ways. Take me back to Gales Creek, Oregon. What was life like as a child for you? Well, it's about an hour and a half out of Portland, and it's along the route to the coast. And everyone would joke that you go to the country and you keep on going. (laughs) And we were lived in a small town. We had 100 kids in our grade school, 500 in our high school, which was in the adjacent town. There was a gas station that couldn't afford to sell gas anymore. So they planted it with flowers, a church and a tavern. And we lived right next door to the graveyard. So we were really remote, but it's a beautiful part of the of Portland, like really pretty. There's a lot of greenery. We had a stream in our backyard. We had five acres around us. We had cows and sometimes goats and chickens. And my dad fished and would bring home the fish from the stream and we'd eat it. So it was really a pretty part of town, but very remote and uh, isolated for sure. You talk about financial struggles for your family and making money, not only for yourself, but for your family was very important to you. And it's one of the reasons why you went to the strawberry fields at age 14. And then you worked in regional chain of superstores. And you talked about how your mom kept a very clean house and it gave you an idea. She also cleaned houses outside of your own home. Was this your first entrepreneur venture? It was. When I started on the strawberry field, My sister and I got kicked off the field (laughs) because my sister decided to leave. She didn't like it as much. She didn't see the vision of earning money as much as I did. So I was picking strawberries and dumping them in, turning in for money, and she was over it. So we got kicked off permanently from the field. And I was so upset because it was I was 13 and it was my money making venture. I was like so excited to finally be able to support myself, I thought. And uh, so we decided to, we could clean houses to earn money. So we went back to that same local grocery store, made a flyer with a picture of a vacuum cleaner on it and those little tear off tabs that you can tear your phone number off. And lo and behold, someone called us and they hired us to clean their home. I don't think they had any clue how young we are. We were back then um, because they wouldn't. I mean, she was 12 and I was 13. Like, there's no way you can go work in someone's. Actually, I think I had just turned 14 at that point. So we did that every Sunday for years. I mean, I kept that cleaning job even after high school. So I had it for a little while. And I think you write in your book, one of your books, that you made $50 to clean a whole house. I thought we were making out like bandits. (laughs) It was 25 for each of us. And I think it took us like four hours. My mom would drive us there and then she would pick us up because we were too young to even drive at the beginning. And yeah, I felt like we were really, really rolling in the dough (laughs) with that job. But there was a very significant turning point in your life that had to do with Erica. You two were as thick as thieves, I think, together, kind of your inseparable best friend, even though she was your sister. Talk about that turning point and how that changed the direction of your life. What happened to Erica? She was 17 and got diagnosed with a brain tumor. And Mm -hmm. it was, um, she lived three months to the day of her diagnosis. And it was um, so hard because we were, um, it grew up so far in the country and didn't have a lot of people around us. And we're also, we're in a pretty restrictive uh, religious environment in our household where we weren't allowed to associate with people that were outside of our church and our church was very small. 
So my sister was my best friend and really my only friend. And we would sneak into each other's bedrooms and sleep in the same bed every night. And so when she got diagnosed with a brain tumor and then passed away, it was just my everything was gone. And um, she was a traumatic experience. It was it. She and she was so precious. She was um, 17 months younger than me and she was four inches taller than me. She was beautiful. Well, <laughs> she was so you're pretty. pretty gorgeous yourself. No, so yeah. the apple's not falling far so. from the tree. <laughs> I don't think so. Thank you. But she was. Yeah, she was amazing. So the thing about Erica, she was a lot more carefree and mm-hmm. she would look at the stars at night. She would look at the butterflies and she would take time to talk to people. In fact, she wanted to follow your career path. She so badly wanted to be a news anchor and she thought she could, and she would dream about this and dream about this. And I, it, I don't think she could ever imagine herself going to the great heights that you went to, because you really have done extraordinary things with your career. And you came up from nothing and did everything on your own as well, which I I respect. I want to interview you now for a podcast (laughs) next time, actually. That's what I'd like to do. Back then, I was very, um, I was always a worrier. I wanted to get everything done quickly. And I was completely the opposite of my sister in that respect. So when she passed away, it really put in me more empathy for other people because I had just gone through a tragedy. So I could really feel for other people. It also caused me to slow down and really appreciate everything that's going on around me. Because I didn't realize even as a teenager how you can not be present. And that was before digital devices and everything. So I think if I think about her, it helps me now to slow down in life a little and just be present in the moment and really appreciate everything. It's pretty extraordinary. You went to design school. And then at 23 years old, you founded Jennifer Adams Design Group. So maybe your second company, right? Yes. (laughs) Yes. And you managed to use your connections to get some of your first clients. I mean, that's what I talk about networking when you were saying that you had been a receptionist and you convinced your old boss to give you your client, his client list to create your own list. He'd probably cringe (laughs) at me saying this, but he did. And so I was receptionist and I ended up going to literally a six week trade school. That was it. Now the trade school I went to is now a longer program, but back then it was in its infancy. And I really didn't have any confidence in my ability to decorate for anybody, let alone, I wouldn't have hired myself. The owner of my school said, if you're going to be in business for yourself, you have to be okay putting yourself out there. You've got to let your dream and your passion be known. So she had me write a letter to every single person that I knew not even knew anything but not ever come in contact with and put a photo of myself in there. And it was amazing how it worked because when you're starting your own business venture as an entrepreneur, it's hard to look to your family and your friends because they know what you did the day before. Like my family knew me as a receptionist. <laughs> There's no way they're going to think I can design their home. And but you've so, been dying carpet. I mean, yes, surely it's something, yes. right? So if you start a business, don't necessarily expect your client base to come from your close circle of friends. You really have to reach out. And from that letter that I sent out, which now in modern day, I think you send send letters, use the regular mail, use email, use every resource and every tool, social media that you can and go out broad and let it be known what you do and speak in the present tense about what you're working on. So it's so easy to fall in the trap of saying, I am going to become a home decorator or I met with somebody the other day, one advice and she was saying, 
I'm going to become a home organizer. And I said, well, you have been organizing homes. Well, yes. I said, so you are a home organizer. And it's so much more impactful for all the people around you, but also more importantly for yourself. When you speak about yourself in the present moment, actually in the action verb of doing what your passion is. So so much more powerful when you say, when I would say I am a designer, I am a decorator versus I'm trying to be, I should work on this. I the moment, yes. The moment you start down that path of studying your craft, putting your wheels in motion, become what you want on that day. That's a lifelong lesson. I think you learned in that moment early on. It was the very first part of your career that has probably stood you in good stead as you've continued on. You know, I really, she helped the owner of the school, Jan Springer, she really helped me have courage. And from there, I learned the power of having mentors and I would pick different mentors for different situations. And I would never call somebody a mentor because the word mentor is very daunting for most people. So if anyone that you want help from or advice from is always already busy. If you're picking the right person, <laughs> if you're just asking your the person sitting next to you at work or your neighbor, they may not be that busy, but it's probably not the right person to be asking advice for. So the thing that helped was getting specific people who were already successful in the specific things that I needed advice for. And I remember one of my most impactful members mentors, Eli Morgan, he asked me, what do you want? I was at a really low point in my business and it really helped springboard things. I said, oh, I started talking about all the things. He was like, no, 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 stop. If you knew all you had was potential, you couldn't fail. What would you do with your business and your life and your career? And that gave me all these, this dream and it gave me hope and it gave me the courage to do the things I needed to do to make my business dreams a reality. You went on to become a highly successful interior designer on television for a couple of different shows. What did you learn about yourself from being on television doing those shows? I never felt worthy at the beginning. I remember feeling just so nervous and so scared. And I feel like I almost sabotaged myself before I got started. And if it weren't for friends saying, you are good enough, you can do this, you got hired to do it. And realizing that if anything in our life the imposter syndrome is so full force and everything we do, especially as women. But if somebody says you're ready and someone gives you an opportunity, you have to see that you are ready and it's okay to feel those feelings of imposter syndrome or not good enough. You just have to recognize that that fear is there and proceed anyway. That taught me that so much, especially when I first started, because when I was on HGTV, I had never spoken a word on camera ever. And I was on this national show. And then my second show that I was on, it was live for a long time, which nobody knows that better than you. <laughs> but I had it's had a whole different world. <laughs> I had had no training. <laughs> so the outfits were bad. The makeup was bad. It was, I was so nervous. But doing that really helped. Uh, it helped so many different things for me, but it really taught me that fear is okay and fear is normal and to expect it and to proceed anyway. One of the things that 
you and I share in common is the quote from Dr. Reverend Robert Schuler. What would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? That's what helped me move through the fear of starting my own business. And I told myself if fear was the only thing standing in my way, that wasn't a good enough reason. Wow. Seriously. Seriously. That is such a coincidence. And I know for you, that quote has meaning as well. It has from day one. Like that has been my driving motivator that I learned from a mentor early on. And then I see it on, you know, different people are credited with that quote from different times in life, but it helps. And I'll tell you, and I'm not sure for you, but for me, it helped me to put away all the preconceived notions about myself, the limiting beliefs and behaviors and say, if I knew I couldn't fail literally with no restriction, no current financial situation, no, the way I, the weight I had or didn't have no restriction about relationships, my home, anything, take all that away and dream as if you couldn't fail. And it's amazing what comes up inside you for what you really want to do. And that, to me, is the basis for a truly fulfilled life. If we don't pause and give ourselves permission to dream that big, I think it's hard to really get in touch with what it is you do want to do. Which is a lot of what you talk about in your most recent book of how high can you soar? Eight powers to lift you to your full potential. And it feels like when I've read this book, I mean, one of the things that you talk about is that you truly believe that we all have the ability to proactively change, create, and attract our best lives. And that really, that theme really runs through your entire book. What do you want people to take away from this book when they read it? Oh, thank you. That no matter where you came from, where your background, your choices up until now, If you don't feel fulfilled in any aspect of your life, business, personal, financial, hobbies, you have the ability to change that, to change it right now. Your current circumstances are just your circumstances today. They're not your circumstances tomorrow. And that you're smart enough, you're good enough, you will have enough money if you identify what it is you want to do. The reality, though, Jennifer, is that change is scary for anybody. And if you feel like, I think as the older we get, it sometimes is even harder. We have the responsibilities of a family or another job or taking care of whomever besides ourselves. And to make those kinds of changes are daunting at times and very, very scary. What advice do you have for people to make those changes, to follow that passion, to recreate their life, to live their best life? What you said is so true. And there's no truer statement than that, that change can be debilitating. And it is so, so scary. My advice would be to know that when you have that feeling, it's normal. It's to be expected. And it doesn't mean something's wrong with you or that you're good enough or not capable enough. It's a normal part of the process. So know that And then know that whatever change you're going through right now or whatever challenges you go through, a dear mentor friend of mine said to me, everything in life has an uncanny way of working itself out. That has helped me so much. And if you think about what you were worried about a year ago, I'm sure you had something, I had something. We all have something. (laughs) We do. 
but you may not know exactly what it is you were worried about a year ago and you're worried about something completely different right now. So there's always going to be a challenge in life. There's always going to be a struggle and there's always going to be a change. This is just your change that's occurring right now. So the more you tackle it and draw from some of the other changes, the things you've overcome in the past, it can help give you a little bit of boost of confidence. But I'll tell you, I'm going through a change right now and it's, it freaks me out to my core still. I still get scared and I still think like, I don't think I can do it. I think it's, it can at times become overwhelming. The thing that helps me right now is I know that I've felt this before and this too shall pass and it all does work out. So just proceed through the uncomfortableness of it and get through it. And what's that saying? It's oftentimes darkest before dawn. It's so true. It is true. I know you're a big proponent of vision boards. Why are they so important to you? I love vision boards because they make my dreams visual. Sometimes I'll think, oh, I want to do this, or I wish I could do that, or I wish I could have this or whatever. But when I put an image on a board, seeing it helps me realize, okay, is that truly what I want to do with my life? But it also then keeps me focused. So I used to have a ton of images on my board. Now I have it narrowed down to the things I truly want to be working on right now for myself, because a vision board, it not only keeps you focused on what matters, it also puts energy out into the universe. And I call it my magic making board because <laughs> everything that I've put on my board comes true at some point or or I'll eventually realize, you know what? I don't really care about this. It's not worth the work that it takes. I take it off. <laughs> yeah. And then I also, when they come true, I put them in a folder. So when I have a hard time or a down day, opening up that folder and seeing all these dreams for all these years that have come true is so inspiring to me. It helps tremendously because I'll think like, I'll remember a time where, oh my goodness, I, when I was doing interior design, I remember how desperately bad I wanted that project and I got it. And wow, that was years ago. So I know I can, it gives me a boost of confidence for whatever I'm working on today. That's a great idea. I've not heard anyone speak of that before to, you know, once you've accomplished something, either put it in a drawer or a pretty box or a file or whatever, and then go back and remind yourself of all the things that you did recreate and create in your life. Don't is, throw them away. Don't throw them away. Yeah. Today, as you sit here in this beautiful home, this beautiful space, your second book, Love Coming Home, Transform Your Environment, Transform Your Life, is full of home decorating tips and client stories and some fun facts, too, about you constantly moving and changing accessories and knickknacks around. <laughs> do you really do that? I really do oh, that. <laughs> My favorite pastime is redecorating and rearranging, and I'm obsessed with it. I love putting pillows in different ways. In fact, one of the pillows from my sofa is on my bed right now. I like moving plants. I like moving objects. I, it's my, I must be so boring because I keep everything the same. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, my husband thinks I'm a nutcase for it, but I, it's like my relaxation. There's something about a home space and I love decluttering and clearing things out. Like I love that so much. And I'm, so I'm constantly thinking if the object doesn't really resonate with me anymore. If it doesn't make me smile, make me happy. I love to get rid of it and give it to someone else that can then enjoy it. Cause there are a lot of people who will enjoy our things that we're not loving. 
And then having few objects is another thing that I love to live by. And no, I'm constantly rearranging and changing and moving, remaking the bed and, and making it in different ways. Like I love doing that. Like sometimes the blanket goes on the outside of the bed. Sometimes the blanket goes on the inside of the bed. I change how I do the back pillows. And yeah, I love changing things up. You know what I love about hearing you say that is we as a society hang on to things. We have storage bins, external storage bins, attics, garages full of stuff that we don't even use. We don't even know we have, let alone does it even resonate still with us today. And to be able to create that environment that helps you live your best life is so important. I love that. That's a great idea. I heard an interesting stat on storage units. When the downturn happened in 2008 and everyone was losing their homes, the storage industry was on a huge rise because we just stored our stuff. There's no other country that has a storage unit business like the United States because we're so focused on things that most of the other countries don't have that same fixation. And so it's literally a storage unit phenomenon here in the U.S. that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world, at least from the stats I heard, which was from a pretty credible resource. You talk about creating special environments, that that is what helps someone live their best life. Is that what success means to you? To me, it makes me feel like I have a basis for success when my environment supports my best life. So I wouldn't say that it's the only key to it or that it makes me feel successful when my environment is exactly as I want it. But I'll tell you, when I come in and my environment feels like me and it's a space that supports me and my family as well, it feels good. And it's just one of those things that's like walking in the door. It's a tranquil place from the rest of the world. It's also the best place to start things off in the day. So I feel a lot of support when my home is in order and I feel a lot of calmness. I think you're healthier as a person too when your home's in order because you have a lot less dust. And just it really, when you set up your environment to uniquely suit you. So your environment may not be the same as mine and mine might not be the same as yours, nor should it be because each of us are individuals. Well, we're authentic. We have to make it authentic to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And when we try to live like our neighbor lives or our friend lives, that's not authentically establishing your home in the manner you want it to be. It doesn't matter if you rent, you own, or you share a room in someone's place. Make your personal space a place that really supports you and functions for the way you want. And just like we talk about our life goals, do that for your room goals. Stop and think, what do you, how do you want your space to function? How do you want to feel? How do you want to smell? What sounds? Like get in touch with all of your five senses in your body to include your sixth sense, your gut sense on how your space feels to you. And that will really help you transform your environment to really support your best life. I'm going to brag on you just a little bit here. I know you're very proud of graduating from Harvard Business School's flagship owner-president management program, or OPM as it's commonly called. It's for entrepreneurs and business owners, and I know that you say that this was a dream that you never thought was even possible. I, Such a great achievement. Thank you. That's so sweet of you to say. I appreciate it. It was a huge dream come true. 
growing up in Gales Creek and in an isolated religious environment, we were not actually allowed to go to school beyond high school at that time. But I did go to a six-week trade school. And it's one of the things I actually talk about in my book, How High Can You Soar? I used to blame my parents for that. And when people would say, is there something you wish you didn't like? I would say, yes, I wish I went to school. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm not practicing what I preach. Why, when I finally learned to let go of the blame of someone else for me not going to school, I realized, wait a minute, I could still go to school now. And a pathway opened up for the OPM program at Harvard's Business School that was perfect for me because it suited, it's for entrepreneurs and business owners when their business was at a certain stage. And I didn't have to have a college degree to be able to go to the program. And so it was amazing uh, once, but I had to give up blaming. And that's one of the things that I also talk about and how high can you soar? is really owning your stuff and owning your destiny and taking control of your life and letting go of blaming other people or holding ourselves back for something we think someone else expects of us or doesn't expect of us. That's when your life can really grow. Three books, not just two, three books. How High Can You Soar, which you just mentioned. The other one is Love Coming Home, Transform Your Environment, Transform Your Life. And the first one you wrote back in 2014, Bedrooms That Inspire, Rest, Relaxation, and Romance. Where can we find not only your books, but all of your beautiful home furnishings? I know our listeners want to know. Oh, thank you. So my products, we have them on our website, jenniferadams.com. A lot of them can also be found at Costco and then other ones like our area rugs are around in different furniture stores, depending on the city that you're in. And we've got fabrics, upholstered fabrics that are like Joann's or fabric.com and places like that. But our bedding is our main core business. And that is um, on our website, Costco.com and in other places. One of my favorite things, though, are the robes that you have. Thank <laughs> you. Them. I highly <laughs> recommend them if you want a nice robe. <laughs> Thank you. We can't keep those in stock. It's crazy. I, it's not crazy. It's, They're really good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> They're so comfortable. You're living your best life, and I'm so honored to have you on this episode with me. Thank you for sharing so much of yourself with all of us and for encouraging all of us to live our best lives and inspiring us to have the courage, which you talked about, to create our next chapters. Thanks so much, Jennifer. Thank you so much, Liz. Until next time, everyone, thanks for joining me on Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. Be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and fast twitch media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.